This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to a, a very special episode of the Right Way Podcast program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott. Today's guest uh, is me. Um, I'm not sure if you can classify it as uh, as such, but uh, it's it's a bit of a bit of a unique sort of episode as I kind of just preface there a bit of a special episode. Um, Going to be talking just a little bit of a year in review about uh, the show's first birthday, uh, its first year out there in the world for the consuming public for your ear regions, which is what you're listening to this on. And yeah, just a bit of a recap of everything that has happened. Um, it's been such an incredible experience, kind of how I've gotten to to this point and uh, what to expect kind of moving forward. So yeah, what I, what I basically wanted to do here, and I kind of think it's pretty essential, prudent to do so because so much has happened in this um, endeavor since, uh, since I undertook it and it's just uh, gone absolutely gangbusters far beyond anything I could have possibly envisioned uh, or dreamed of. So yeah, I just wanted to take time as much for myself as for you kind of thinking out there loud here to kind of look back at everything that has happened and where we're going moving forward. So first and foremost, just a little bit of a a background, I guess, uh, prior to when the Right Way podcast program was nothing more than a twinkle in my eye back in the day. So I've been uh, writing my own sort of creative writing ever since I finished high school. The first real book, I'd written a book uh, when I was very young called Eyes of a Killer with a, what a catchy title, bound to, be a, bound to be an instant success, but the world was not ready for it and I wasn't ready for it either. I don't know what happened to it, eh? I think I chucked it out. It was kept in a drawer somewhere. And then from there, you know, it was, it was good to show that it could be done when I was a you know young lad that knew nothing about anything, you know, the age of about 13, 14. Then when I got out of high school and started working for uh, Carnival Australia, Pinot Cruises, uh, in between calls, I was writing a, a ro- romance novel, actually, believe it or not, called Intimate Internet. Yes, catchy name, uh, very apt, very punny, very funny, very witty, uh, presumably I thought that at the time. Uh, I sent it to Mills and Boone. It was absolutely not ready. It wasn't readable. It wasn't to be read by anyone. I did edit it, but I didn't take editing that seriously. And yeah, as such, uh, the good folks at Mills and Boone did not uh, did not pick it up. And then, you know, I kind of uh, didn't really know where to go from there. But I'd always loved horror novels, particularly the works of, say, Clive Barker and Stephen King. Steve King was the first person to get me into horror. I voraciously read the vast majority of his books. So I kind of, uh, yeah really folks the next few novels thereafter and you know leading from my the last of my teenage years into my 20s uh were yeah firmly stapled within the the horror genre uh most of them were pretty out there uh gratuitous violent stuff that most sane people probably wouldn't want to read uh you know, I, I look back at that period and I was happy that I, you know, I kept with the discipline of the writing. Some of the ideas and concepts certainly I'll revisit and kind of now that I'm, I think I'm a better writer for the experience. Then I, uh, I, one of the novels, uh, 
I wrote uh, got picked up by a dodgy uh, publisher, custom book publications based in Hong Kong. Never send your work there. I don't mind that I'm saying this in a podcast because they are still publishing The Sisters of Satan, my book, and they have not paid me a cent. So if you really want to get yourself a hands-on a copy of a pretty dark, twisted horror novel that's not particularly well written and in dire need of an edit, uh, even so, even as a joke, I'll probably say don't do it because I don't want to give, them, give money to those people. But yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. So basically, I had sent this novel, The Sisters of Satan, to them. They got back to me saying they wanted to publish it. I was a starry-eyed kid. What did I know? I know nothing about anything. I didn't have a muse. I didn't really have a writing group. I didn't know no one in the industry. So I'd said yes. And I'd come and signed out this absolute rubbish contract uh, and sent it off. And then subsequently, they published it and have never paid me a cent. That was going back 10 years now. So I think it's still available, judging by their dodgy website. Check it out, Custom Book Publications. But uh, yeah, so that was a pretty devastating experience. Um, So then I kind of realized uh, that I needed to understand a little bit more about the workings of the industry, which is still a little bit clandestine, still a bit hard to... uh, It's not fiercely insular, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you got to know people and stuff like that. Um, and, and learn about that. So in that regard, I kept writing horror novels. I uh, wrote a, a couple in a series of the Milan Milton series, Milan Milton Heiress and Milan Milton Fugitive. And that was supposed to be a trilogy. Sent that out, got torn to pieces. I was still pretty proud of it. To be honest, I would like to revisit it one day. I really did like that story and I thought it had potential. It was still, you know, I think I've still kind of come a long way since the writing of that particular book, uh, and I've still got a long way to go, but, uh, yes, anyway, uh, so I had, still wasn't kind of getting where I wanted to be, wasn't really making any headway, uh, but in 2015, yeah, 2015, I underwent a mature age communications degree uh had a pretty awful time by and large um but uh that's neither here nor there i'm like the most the biggest biggest takeaway from that is probably that i'm glad that i stuck with this degree while balancing four jobs uh going very little sleep having very little money i remember walking uh down street and thinking man it would be nice to have 20 dollars to get myself a bite to eat because i'm fucking starving and could not do so at the same time, I was really sort of amping up uh, the... So up until that point, I had, at the same time of my long-form writing, I'd also been submitting poetry, various different pieces to digital and print publications, uh, and as well as starting to interview authors as well. Uh, I found a few really good, very cool publications, uh, both digital and print, that were that were accepting these uh, interviews that I was doing of writers um, and one of them, one that definitely deserves a huge shout out was Compulsive Reader, um, the lovely Magdalena Ball there for Compulsive Reader, very cool person. Um, She, and yeah, anyway, that sort of, so so offered this opportunity for me to kind of upload and interview people. And at the same time, while this was sort of going on, I got a gig an unpaid gig, as is pretty much everything within the writing world, uh, for something called the Australia Times, 
which is something that I kind of happened upon. I think that they were based in Melbourne from memory. And again, it was an unpaid gig, but you know, you kind of had carte blanche, do whatever you wanted, so long as you uploaded some content. You know, they just, I think that's all they kind of cared about is, you know, as long as you had some good, somewhat decent sort of quality caliber content uh, getting uploaded there. So with that, what that sort of enabled me to do was it gave me, uh, uh, it didn't give me connections at all, but it gave me a uh, fancy looking webmail address that said Samuel Elliott from the Australia Times, lead contributor, whatever ridiculous title I gave myself. So I started using that to uh, contact and speak to, uh, door started opening from it, um, you know, and here's me, absolute Joe Schmo, barely knows what I'm doing. And it was getting into situations where I was getting to interview people like Thomas Keneally, going into Penguin Random Houses, um, offices there, uh, beautiful offices in the North Shore. Um, yeah, speaking to people like Thomas Keneally, getting invited to events and covering events like the Jasper Jones premiere, talking to a, a truly awesome, just kind-hearted human being I can't praise enough, Craig Sylvie, you know, on the red carpet. Um, and yeah, so that, that from there, that, that was all sort of proliferating and all these other doors were opening with these sort of connections from this, this email address. And then the Australia Times, this was still synced around 2015, the Australia Times went bust, they went defunct. And I, I remember speaking to the person that was kind of on the other side of the, the computer there about like, can I still retain my webmail? Is that, is that thing still gonna work? And they were like, well, no, <laughs> like, it won't. And then I was like, oh my goodness, because then that means that I will no longer have this email, this glamorous looking, fancy, very officious looking sort of email address that is uh, the hook that uh, people think I'm a totally legit, totally know what I'm doing when it comes to the interviewing, you know, and offering up these uh, incredible luminaries uh, within their respective fields, you know, otherwise denied me if I didn't have this email address. I only then had, you know, my my current G, still on operation, my current Gmail address. And I was like, my goodness, the, 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 all these doors that have just opened are gonna suddenly close. I'm not gonna be able to progress any forward and realize this dream of, you know, talking to all these cool people. But um, that didn't happen. Um, basically what did is that the people that I kind of, uh, the, various publishing houses in particular, the publicity teams there, I notified them that I was going to my personal email address, uh, as well as applying to you know other places as well. And it didn't stop it, it just continued. Um, so like they're in, kind of showed some demarcation or connections had been made and established and strengthened throughout you know various dealings and various sort of interviews. And that kind of went on uh, from 2015, uh, a little bit before 2015, interviewing people right through until obviously before I undertook this um, this podcast program. Uh, just the amount of people I was getting to speak to, the people that I was speaking to was just insane. Um, Nigella Lawson, uh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray and Jan Vogler. If you go right now and you look at the Sydney Opera House and you go to their media hub section, go have a look at it. If you look at it on a computer, I found that it's not on a phone, but if you look at it on a computer, the banner image that is used, you will see my rude head posing with uh, opposite Bill Murray, mid-question, mid-journo scrum. Here's all these other totally legit, actual bona fide journos. And here's me, this absolute gremlin rocking a Chuck Norris shirt, which I believe Bill Murray complimented when I got a photo of him. But anyway, I digress, I'm waffling there a little bit. But the point I was trying to make is that 
the people I was getting to speak to now, um, Jane Harper, all, all these all these incredible Australian and international authors, uh, chefs, uh, filmmakers. It was all just kind of just coming in, and then and then more continued to flow as well. I mean, like speaking to people from Twin Peaks, um, going attending the Walking Dead, speaking to people from that. It was just uh, crazy. It was crazy. But the only thing that was inhibiting a little bit was it was it was somewhat difficult to do. It's more difficult to do because you one you're kind of holding to trying to get uh, if you don't have a secure or a kind of consistent place in which you can deliver your interviews to, then I found, uh, particularly towards the latter half of it, basically one in particular stands out to me was when, so I had hosted an event for the Making a Murderer and the Staircase, the stars of Making a Murderer and the Staircase, which is at Enmore a few years back, if you went to it. I didn't get paid for that. I'm gonna say, I didn't get paid for that. and. They were rolling in the Benjamins. That wasn't the stars' fault, obviously. That was the um, the organisers that contacted me, asked me to do it, said they didn't, said they couldn't pay me, and then I heard all these figures getting thrown around when I was there, and then didn't even say thank you when I left. So I was kind of like chewed up and spat up about that, which you could probably tell I was a little, little bit bitter, considering I figured I did a pretty decent job uh, with no prep time and just you know me sourcing my questions and asking them and then leading the discussion on stage. Anyway. Uh, I had then spoken to David Rudolph, who you would know from The Staircase, the really excellent uh, true crime docuseries, uh, The Staircase, kind of one of the founding ones, really, of that. David Rudolph, cool dude. Um, I spoke to him and interviewed him and written this, um, what I thought was a pretty decent feature. I was trying to get it out there, and this is kind of the turning point as well, because I was just hitting brick walls with it. And there was a place, I'm not going to mention who they were, but it was a place that I did work for, uh, including uh, submitting a sex uh, a piece that I covered for the Sexpo event in which I also interviewed uh, adult film actress Lana Rhodes, lovely person, got to speak to her, that was an incredibly surreal experience. And uh, so I had done that obviously, as, as is everything with writing and particularly my pursuits, everything was for free. So I did that and then I, the, basically the sort of agreement in which I'd entered into with this organisation which is now defunct was saying um, I, you don't have to pay me obviously because you don't have any money I'm sure you do but you, you, know, you don't need to pay me but I just need a platform just for this stuff these, these you know these, these pieces the people I'm speaking to this stuff like is you know it's, it's not to be sneezed at like this is, this is stuff in which people will engage in and they said yes that, that was fine so we had this handshake agreement anyway so they took this expo piece and then when I had this David Rudolph piece that I thought was pretty good I kind of worked pretty hard on it they they heard they were like oh no um you know this doesn't interest us i don't think it'll interest our readers and i'm like really like i find that hard to believe and that for me was a reality and a bit of a wake-up call because i was finding that the sourcing of these uh these luminaries these you know top tier sort of people was not difficult like you put in the effort there and that gets rewarded accordingly but then having a written piece that you've worked on and trying to get that out there is the challenge is the hard part and i mean fair enough like I'm, I'm joe schmo nobody in terms of that so i can kind of understand that a bit but it is very disheartening demoralizing to try and have your your work that you've that you've gotten there you've done all the hard work you've done all the, the legwork and you haven't even you can't even find a home for this piece you know free of charge you're not even expecting to get paid yet you couldn't so for me that was when the first sort of um 
ideas formed for what would ultimately I read into wanting to you know get into podcasting. Another couple of things as well related to it. It was I found um, because the way in which I was doing it again, I was just didn't know what I was doing. I was when I was interviewing people, I was recording it and then I was sort of transcribing it later and then editing it. So I was like doing twice the amount of work um, for, for not that much of a gain in terms of it because it wasn't the easiest way to digest it. I mean, the people that I was speaking to are incredibly cool, uh, you know, erudite people that were saying some very fascinating things. But it just, I felt that the sort of Q&A format isn't um, the best when it's transferred through the medium of the written word, I find uh, a little bit. So I was like, okay. And then I thought about it. I was like, podcasting. So this is, we're getting up to about, um, what, 20, 28, 18, no, 27, 17, 18. Anyway, the end of it. And I... So I knew that I wanted to get into podcasting, but I was afraid of cat because funnily enough, even though I've worked, my previous role to my current one was uh, for Fox Sports Media Services Consultant Coordinator for like eight years, which is an inherently technical role. Uh, and still I was afraid of cat when it came to the actual technical logistics of actualizing this desire to create my own podcast. I was like, well, that's something for tech heads. I'm not a tech head. How am I gonna possibly, you know, do this on my lonesome people kind of hold my hand with this sort of thing you know i'm just gonna to have to embark on this but how am i gonna do it because i'll just screw it up and then i had this extreme fear that i would speak to someone a big someone well i mean everyone's big you know it's it's nice to be important it's important to be nice but anyway i would do this interview speak to this person wrap it up and then for whatever reason i would have fucked it up and in terms of the uh, record itself, you know, I haven't done it properly. It can't get posted for whatever reason. I've done something, or some oversight that I haven't noticed properly at the time. And then having to go through the humiliating and understandably frustrating experience of notifying them and saying, look, I'm sorry, that, that's, that didn't record properly. So that's, thanks, thanks for your time. I'm sorry that it amounted to nothing. I was definitely afraid of that. Listen, I'll tell you, I was definitely, definitely afraid of that. I was like, my God, that would be just the most awful thing to have happen. Um, I myself, if that, was, if that was me and someone came to me and said that, you know, I'd be like, cool, let's do the recording conversation again. These things happen, but I don't know. Some people might rightfully get um, frustrated or they might not have the time, you know? So opportunity lost, not a good start to such an endeavor. But, um, you know, I, I knew that it was something that I needed to do and I wanted to do and I had done, had wanted to do for a very long time, uh, even before, you know, 2017, 18 before I kind of got kind of nudged towards doing it because it wasn't so much working as, as best I was hoping for with the, the sort of print publications and the interviews there. So I knew that I had to do it. Uh, so I started trying to educate myself on YouTube tutorials. And I guess it's like anything when you consult the internet or you consult YouTube tutorials. Yeah, one will tell you to do one thing and then one will tell you to do another and they're diametrically opposed or they're contradictory, or, you know, and then some will tell you to use this program that's ace and then you look it up and it's like a monthly charge of 49.99 us and you're going to enter in all this dodgy information and your banking details so there's all this sort of stuff where you're like well like i feel like i don't need to do that but you're telling me to you know how much are they paying you to spruik this sort of program so the first sort of uh foray into the education of trying to self-educate and self-teach the um the process with the podcast it didn't go all that well 
And then I did a course. This is when the the clouds parted of my um my uncertainty, and a light, beaming light shone through in the form of this uh, delightful human being that I uh, met through yes a Faber Academy course. It was a crime writing course, which was uh, taught by Catherine Kovich and. Uh, RWR McDonald, incredibly, incredibly awesome, uh, absolutely fascinating um, class. Just a couple of really uh, delightful luminaries teaching the craft of crime, which is something that I've always been sort of interested in, but haven't really undertaken all too many until my latest novel. But anyway, I digress. And at that class was a person called Danny V. And Danny V has her own incredibly successful, rightfully so, podcast, Words and Nerds, which I dare say you've heard. Certainly, I've been listening to episodes long before our paths ever crossed. Uh, so I recognized her straight away in the virtual meeting, and I was like, oh, it's Danny V. And she's just a lovely human, incredibly supportive of uh, everyone they're writing for shoots. So I sent an email and asked her kind of how she got set up on her, her podcast. So she got a podcast program there. And, you know, I saw it from her perspective as well because I was like, you know, I'm Joe Schmo. Who am I? Like, you know, she might have the she might have the time or the inclination to 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 help me uh, to to get it set up because you know she she did it all on her lonesome at some point. And you know, who am I to to kind of do that? It wasn't so much cutting the corner. It's just that I was a bit lost of it all, and you know, I kind of need some help. And delightful human, helpful human, compassionate human that she is, she did. She gave me some truly invaluable sort of advice uh, in this email that really put me on my way to getting set up with the podcasting. So whether you're listening to this or not, Danny, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate uh, what you did there for a fellow person helping me in that regard. Um, it's just helped so much and I probably wouldn't be sitting here doing this uh, without your help there, truly. So yeah, I'll never, never forget what you did. I'll help you in a way in which I can. You're a good human being, bless you. A thousand times over, a million trillion times over, thank you. Anyway, so Danny had given me all this advice and then I subsequently used that to to launch the the podcast. First few I did uh, record it directly what, uh, through what I'm using to record this particular episode, which is Audacity. Uh, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't have a microphone yet. No, 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 I tell a lie. I did have a microphone, but I hadn't recorded things through Zoom. So what I was doing for those first, uh, I think four or five. So there was Monica McInerney, there was Fiona McIntosh, uh, both international best-selling authors. There was Anthony Langford, Sydney-based writer, poet. Uh, and I think there was someone else. So when I was doing it, this is, uh, this is our shame job this was. So I had the microphone, which is this, I swear by it, it's this road. When I got, I uh, looked up best sort of microphones to get on uh, the interwebs, and it told me that this one was was up there. And I've seen photos of other people using using them, so it's just, and it has been just this loyal, trusty. Cost me me back about a couple of hundred bucks on eBay. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, anyway, word one is but what I was trying to get to is, so I had set up the microphone, and then I um, put a stack of books up you know, near it, not exactly on it, but near it. And then I was calling the guests and I was putting the phone on loudspeaker. And then, so the phone, so the camera, so the microphone was picking up them and their response. 
and you'll be able to hear it if you go and listen to those first few episodes uh, way back when, about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago now, of the show. Uh, you can tell that it's a phone call because it um, it uh, it sounds like a phone call. You can t- you can t- you can hear it from them. You can hear me sounding marginally better because obviously I'm there in the room talking in the microphone directly. And uh, yeah, and that was you know kind of almost beggar's belief now. But it was again, it was sort of harkening back or tying in with this um, nervousness about it uh, with the. Uh, with the the podcasting and uh, you know not knowing how to do zooms and I mean this is all straightforward seemingly straightforward stuff and I look back at it now and how silly I was but at the time it just really concerned me that I wasn't going to be able to do it properly I guess it was kind of like a passing of the baton because I was so used to using my phone as both the recorder when I met people face to face in previous in my previous life of writing digital print uh, interviews or I was speaking to people on the phone and then subsequently you know transcribing it directly from there so it was a bit of a changing of the guard passing the baton on from one technology to another but then i started kind of working out how to use zooms and then the rest is history i should also kind of digress or just veer off for a sec there just to mention about uh what i also had my thoughts going into setting up the podcast so i was worried that pretty worried I was pretty worried I was pretty worried that it wasn't going to uh, take off that it wasn't gonna uh, that I was I was gonna struggle to even though up until this point with the digital stuff which probably had less of a platform and you know less getting out there I, st- I still hadn't had issues with uh, you know ever getting uh, to speak to people I was just worried that the podcast was not going to take off for whatever reason I thought that maybe I might get one in the can and then for whatever reason I would just not hear from from other um, other sort of PR people or various different organizations or anything like that maybe they would listen to the episode and realize how much of an amateur I am with it all that barely knows what they're doing i think that the, the only thing that i've really had going for me with it all is i think i'm just uh you could probably gauge i'm pretty authentic open and honest for for all my sins for good or ill and i think that people resonate with that because it, i think it goes a lot better and i read the work as well i think that all kind of shows uh you know compared to i think that some other more kind of established journo types might uh not read the books might not read the material and that becomes blatantly obvious with the perfunctory sort of questions that are asked etc anyway i'm not trying to drop shade but i think that kind of comes through with that when you're authentic and sort of shines through but yeah i was really worried that it wouldn't um it wouldn't take for whatever reason it would i might get one in the can and then after that it would just trail off into this kind of roaring uh silence radio silence with it all on all the fronts you know um but it didn't it it it, it didn't at all it started to really go gangbusters uh, insanely quickly beyond my wildest imaginings and it wasn't just um, publishers in which I had had uh, previous like previous ex- existing relationships with or some form of cordial sort of relations with previous sort of interviewing guests on digital and print sort of styles but actually other publishing houses that I hadn't really had all that much contact with were starting to contact me and say, hey, I was wondering if you'd like to 
speak to this person, this and that. And then it just, it just happened in profusion. And to be honest with you, <clears throat> um, it's, it's always been a wild juggling act and yeah, the balance of that, but with what has gone on in one aspect of my life, uh, my working life, which I can't really talk about at the moment, but I guess sure I will at some point. Uh, I needed it. I needed, I needed, uh, this was my, one of my forms of therapy, uh, was to just talk with writers, uh, who share an affinity for, you know, reading and writing and just a love of literature. I realize that now looking back over the course of the last year, how much it has helped me through this pretty rough, pretty fucking awful, uh, uh, couple of years uh which i think i'm at the tail end of now um but yeah it, yeah it was, it was it was pretty rough and um i found that the bonding with all these you know endless procession of incredibly talented insanely cool people had really helped uh more than perhaps i kind of sensed at the time how much it, it, it helped me and how much i bonded with them but yeah, it was, it was it was something that I thought, you know, I was worried that it wasn't going to take off and it just has far beyond all my wildest imaginings. And what that has kind of led to is, you know, looking back now, um, is 50 plus, speaking to 50 plus people, um, speaking to literally one of my favorite Australian writers, which I'll talk about in a sec, um, as well as speaking to so many people with these incredible personal stories and these you know these beautifully written novels like some of the best that australia and the world has to offer i, I maintain and I, I don't know if it's just uh, you know it's just dumb patriotism on my part but i do maintain that australia has some of the best creatives in the world um yeah i truly do particularly within the field of writing there's just some people you just read their stuff and it's just fucking face blisteringly good the the sheer the the pros and and the way in which they they craft these stories and talk and engage with you as a reader is just phenomenal and I'm just constantly in awe of it so that's how it sort of all kind of has eventuated when I now look back at it and now I kind of like gotten to the point where I'm trying to I'm gonna try and uh do a look back at you know a, a little bit of a highlights thing which is kind of a tall order and it's pretty difficult to actually achieve because like every single one of the conversations in which I've had on the show with the 50 plus people I've spoken to now has impacted me in some profound way. Like in terms of moving forward, like it's given me new insight. I've learned so much as well, you know, about life, the human condition, people's lives, getting newfound insight and respect. And yeah, I think that's the main thing that I'd take away from it, which I maybe wouldn't have thought would have been, uh, a sort of achievement or something that would have been uh, received from from the endeavor is how much I've learned about the world through the people in which I've spoken to and all these different lenses of life that have just been absolutely invaluable um, with me, both in the, the shaping of my overall understanding and perception of reality and life and society within Australia and the world, as well as giving me newfound sort of in, insight and um, appreciation for my own sort of circumstances uh, you know, even if one element of my life, I'd say is, is, is sucked, but, um, throughout that, but then, you know, that's just been buoyed by the fact that I've spoken to so many cool people and getting new insights. So what I'm doing is I've got my Instagram open in front of me and I'm just kind of scrolling, looking through here a little bit of some of the people 
Um, Boy on Fire, uh, Mark Morju. Teacher of mine at Faber Academy. That was for a different uh, different course I did there as well. That was when the world was still uh, without a pandemic a few years ago. Anyway, Boy on Fire is about a the kind of childhood and earlier years of a young Nick Cave. And... Yeah, I mean, it was immensely researched. You got, you got that, and it was just, it was just such a pleasure to talk to to Mark because he's just, I guess, probably my takeaway from him is that in a in a sort of music industry which can inherently be pretentious and you know people feel like they have to give the considered answer or the right answer or something like that. Mark was just a just a cool. Uh, straightforward dude and I think that kind of showed of his writing as well of this uh, immensely realised and incredibly exhaustively researched uh, Boy on Fire so it was just an absolute pleasure to speak to him it was a little bit surreal as well because he he'd been my teacher in a class and then getting the chance to have this sort of discussion with him about obviously one of um, Australia's kind of like most uh, influential musicians which is just a really really cool experience as well um what else we got here? Oh, Michael Williams. Uh, Michael Williams, the Sydney Festival's directors, or well, Sydney Festival's, Sydney Writers Festival, I should say, Sydney Writers Festival's uh, new artistic director, Michael Williams. Um, that was an absolute pleasure speaking to him as well. That was just such a surreal experience as well. Um, that was one of those times where I was like, well, you know, the podcast is really taking off, getting the chance to, to have a talk to him. He was an incredibly well-spoken man, as you would, as you'd probably expect from someone who's going to be the, the festival director of a um, artistic director of the Sydney Writers Festival. But it was, I guess it was just one of those people that was just sort of in awe of, of just how articulate they were uh, about the, you know, the theme for, for the festival and all that. It was just, yeah, it was an absolute joy speaking to him. Getting to speak to Danny, um, Danny V, whom I mentioned before. Um, that was just an absolute pleasure talking to her as well. Shannon Malloy. Shannon Malloy, cool dude, just a lovely human being. Went through absolute hell uh, when he was a young young teenager. He wrote his memoir, 14, which was uh, incredibly well-received. Deservedly so. Such a raw, honest story. And ultimately one I found to be uplifting and of triumph, resounding triumph. Uh, but God, fuck, that was just oh, some of the stuff in that. But he was just such a good human to talk to as well. It's just an absolute joy. Um, I feel like I'm going to mention everyone. Um... Oh, there's just so many. Speaking to Blaze Van Heck about uh, her, so she, she's the she's one of the co-owners of um, of Busy Bird Publishing in Melbourne. Uh, getting to hear about the workings of a of a boutique publishing house like that, uh, particularly with what goes into their untitled anthology, which I was fortunate enough to speak in, it was just such an awesome experience. Um, the life of a spy as well with Rod Barton, man. That guy has lived a life, I tell you. That guy has lived a life, like, just, like, examining for, you know, Iraq for weapons of mass destruction, instrumental in, like, all, like, these historical accounts or, you know, events. It was just, it was just crazy. And he was just, on top of it, he, there wasn't any arrogance about him. Like, he was just an honest dude. It was just an absolute pleasure to talk to. Emma Batchelor, uh, the winner of Now That I See You, uh, which is about... Her and uh, her partner who transitioned while they're in a relationship, which caused understandable uh, tumultuousness, but uh, they ultimately stayed together, and it was and it's it's a real life happy story in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean it was just such an original work, 
and an important one I felt as well it was something I hadn't really encountered before and she was just so lovely to talk to god this is so many um far from home far from home hands down was probably one of the most confronting uh discussions I had um purely due to the subject matter as well um the person I spoke to was Rosie Aliff her daughter Mia Aliff was um horrifically killed tragically killed uh on a fruit picking farm uh in Queensland somewhere uh by someone unknown to her that she only met like a few days uh, before that and it was about um Rosie sort of uh receiving this news and sort of this transformation of her life and she kind of utilized it to be a spokesperson to kind of probe into these unregulated uh sort of um visas for farming type situations in which um many victim uh, many backpackers have kind of fallen victim to with that um and sort of prompted kind of major societal change she's she downplayed it but i, I believe that she has i mean it was just such a you know she lost her daughter um in the worst circumstance like every parent's worst nightmare it was just like you know so i was like how's this going to go when you know when i when i was going to speak to her but she was just so lovely and, and cordial and easy to talk to. I mean, like, I teared up at one point. She did. Like, it was just... Yeah, it was just... Yeah, it was just an intense experience. But rewarding, rewarding, and totally worth it as well. I was so glad I spoke to her. Um, oh, who else? There's just so many. Rob McDonald. Laura Elizabeth Woollett. Um, really cool person. Incredible, incredible writer. Um, just getting to speak to her about her the book, The Newcomer. And again that was kind of also it was kind of crazy talking to her because i was so i was so in love with her um beautiful revolutionary book that she written a few years before and i'll probably you know things were always kind of going along on the chugging along with the interviews but i don't know if i would have gotten to to that point like where i was ever going to speak to her so it's just a you know like a really enjoyably surreal experience getting to talk to her um about her new work like that and you know again she proved to be just just a lovely human being just you know candid about her craft not a, not a trace of pretentiousness about her and just a really like lovely human to talk to so yeah that was awesome uh when things are alive they hum uh hannah bent uh that is one of the 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 big literary books of the year i dare say uh you probably heard about it uh hannah bent uh when things are alive they hum she was just really really cool person to speak to i loved her novel it was one of my favorites i read this year um it was just a fascinating discussion I found and yeah it's always I find really good to meet and speak with people that are successful that deserve to be successful because they're just lovely human beings you know Josephine Taylor Eye of the Rook Eye of the Rook I had never heard about the condition Volvidinia uh, until I'd spoke until I'd read Josephine's book and oh like just the way in which, like I, I said, I maintain to this day, her depictions of pain and describing it, it's, 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 I think it's actually something that's quite difficult to do. It's one of those, it's like describing love or something. Pain is, you know, it's so empirical that it can be difficult to try and convey that within writing. But the way in which Josephine Taylor had done it, um, it was just incredible. And it was just such an edifying, uh, as well as candid chat, and it was just, yeah, it was just such a unique work. It was just an absolute joy to talk to. Um, who else is still going? God, there's so many. Um, Lynn Yowart. Lynn Yowart. What a great 
human being and writer she is. So The Silent Listener is what we discussed as her debut novel that's that's come <coughs> excuse me come out that's been that's rightfully done incredibly well one of the big hits for Penguin Random House this year um it's kind of been marketed as a psychological thriller but I don't really I, I never read it as such and then when we spoke I think she found that to be kind of refreshing because because she didn't I think find it a psychological thriller either when she was writing it um you know it's just a harrowing sort of account of uh this young girl uh living through some horrific horrific abuse like some of the some of the i mean the passages themselves were just so relatable and beautifully kind of elegantly written but just oh just the and to to know that the vast majority of it was inspired by lynn's sort of own upbringing there you know all this led to an incredibly robust and you know earnest discussion my heart just went out to her and you know i'm so glad that she's taken those experiences and fused them with her own imagination and created something that's so important and then it's been so well received and you know putting it out into the world because that's writing anything is you know um an arduous and terrifying task but then to do something that's so deeply personal and send that out there you know with the the very real possibility of being rejected and pretty brutally as well uh that can happen um you know it's incredibly brave soul to do that and you know she's been just so lovely both with that chat and after it trying to help me in various pursuits and she's just a i'm just my life is enriched by meeting such an awesome human being the others mark brandy that was another one i got to speak to mark brandy uh that was that was there you go there's a crossover there there's a crossover episode with mark brandy spoke to him way back when uh with wimmera talking to him i was i did it when i was i was speaking to him while i was in an empty computer lab while I was doing my mature age degree uh, at a really sucky institution, which I won't talk about. But anyway, um, yeah, I spoke to him then, and then I got to speak to him about the others. Amazing writer, um, just the the leanest, and most you know, immensely vividly realized prose, and just just a cool human as well. Just a just a lovely guy. Um, Nitram getting to speak to the screenwriter uh, Sean Grant for Nitram, which has just dropped this week i think i saw it on stan which is the i don't want to say it's a biopic uh but it's about um the port arthur massacre gunman martin bryant and you would think when whenever you tell people that they go oh like oh, i'm not gonna watch that i'll give that one a miss uh in a really dismissive way and that kind of alarms me because i think maybe the way in which we can kind of move forward uh, or not not move forward and forget in terms of bettering society to prevent this sort of thing from happening is to cast a kind of unflinching eye on it. And, you know, and then I think that Sean said at one point, he was like, we wouldn't be making these movies if these things didn't keep happening. And I was like, man, that's so like well put and, you know, eerily relatable in terms of that in terms of the, the you know the filmmaking process and the craft and the desire or the, the driving force behind why that movie was made i do encourage you to watch it um it's one of the best movies i've seen this year it uh doesn't have uh really didn't really have any violence we died me and sean grant discussed that as well <clears throat> that it had no real violence and no on-screen violence and i think that was important as well and it really kind of added to the narrative i found and i really uh commended him and commend them um as well as um the director justin kurzel on their decision to not have any sort of on-screen violence as well um 
and yeah, he was just a, he was just a cool dude. Again, this is someone that's like a you know a Hollywood screenwriter, uh, and just lovely human being. Just you know, really cool person. The Women of Little Lawn, uh, sex workers in nineteenth century Melbourne, with Barbara Minchinton. That was just such a, a such a fascinating subject. Um, and she's obviously such a brilliant uh, historian. And then the fact that she took you know exhaustive research and fused it into this very palatable, very easy to digest sort of almost narrative like uh, structure of her her book. And it was just, yeah, it was just an absolute pleasure to talk to her. Such a fascinating era of Melbourne history. I really like, you know, I, I, admittedly I'm out of my depth. I don't really know if there is a one already. There might already be <coughs> such a such a good book of that. But like a Sydney counterpart, <coughs> excuse me, a Sydney version of that as well. I'm wondering if there's something of that ilk floating around. Um, Matthew Riley, the one impossible labyrinth. It's the third time, third time I've spoken to Matt Riley. Um, First time I ever saw him live was when I went to the attending the Great Zoo of China launch at the Hayden Orpheum. And man, he's something else. Like he like in terms of just the fan base he's got, the connection he has with them, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to see, really. It's like you know, I think he kind of subverts, and the thing I've li- always liked about him is I think that he kind of subverts the the trope, and that really to me ties some sort of trope of the the dark brooding writer, you know, and you know having to be seen to be you know a high ranking member of the intelligentsia, and every word you give is considered, and you know just yeah every word that it utters from your lips has to be so profound. I can't stand that stuff, man. I really can't, and like that's why I've always really liked Matt Riley because he's he's just not like that. He's just open about his sheer unadulterated love for the you know for writing and telling these crazy stories that are just always batshit and always delightfully batshit and they're always so good to read and they've never let me down you know and he's just such a great human being you know talking to me from his his place in LA we were shooting the shit talking about the stuff that he had in the background like all these Mandalorian masks a uh, pretty large figurine of the Nakatomi Plaza uh, all that sort of stuff, man. It's just, again, I kind of touched on what I touched on, I think, with either uh, Hannah Bent maybe before saying that it's just so good to see successful people just be good human beings. You know, I just love seeing that. Danged Black Thing, Eugen Bacon, um, absolute pleasure to talk to her. She's such a prolific and, and amazing uh, writer with spec fi- within the spec fiction sort of sphere. And she's just a cool person. And... You know, I love that she's, she talked a little bit about how she's like writing more of a, more African driven stories and stories, you know, about African characters. And I'm so glad that she has because they're so original and it was just an absolute pleasure to talk to her. She's such a scarily intelligent and deep human being. Um, but you know, it's so can and so easy to talk to her about her craft. It's just awesome. Um, what else? Oh, this is so many. Um, Seven and a half. I might wrap it up with seven and a half. So, so when I mentioned way back when that I was spoke, got to speak to one of my favourite novelists, it was Christoph Solkos. Christoph Solkos has been one of my favourite Australian novelists for for a long time. Yeah, I haven't read all of his work. I haven't read Dead Europe or Head On or anything, but I've read, you know, um, Merciless Gods. I love Merciless Gods. Barracuda, The Slap. I think it's just. He's just someone that I haven't brushed up against in terms of their sort of writing prose, the stories they tell, 
how honest they are about things that in many times, in many cases, even now, still in 2021, are considered taboo. And the way he goes about it, just this just raw honesty, you know? And it's just something that's just so, not just refreshing uh, or enlightening, but it's important, I find. It's important within the, the era that we live in now, and maybe more than ever, you know? So we discussed Seven and a Half, his new book, as, as you would expect, is sublimely written, it's beautifully written. Um, and he's just such a cool dude, man. Like, I was nervous going into that one because I was like, oh, you know, here's this, you know, they say don't meet your idols, and, you know, sort of stuff. And he's just a lovely human being. It could be just anyone that, you know, you talk to. Uh, I think Christos is a partially reformed smoker, as am I. You know, just going down, punching a couple of darts in a beer garden somewhere, talking shit. He's just, like, he's just of that sort of approachable ilk, and he's just a lovely human being. And, you know, um, yeah. And then you know since then so that's that's the that's the ones that I've had and then the most recent I've spoken to uh, as of a couple of days ago was Dasha Nekrasova who you might recognize from Succession she has a small role in Succession um, talked to her about her directorial debut The Scary of 61st which is kind of a Jalo almost Jalo adjacent uh, sort of horror novel sorry horror novel horror movie rendering of you know the works of Dario Argento uh, I think it was cited um, I, don't, I don't know if you can mention him anymore because he's been cancelled but Roman Polanski certainly I can see um, with the opening shots of the various sort of um, gargoyles and grotesques and cherubic sort of figures that were sitting on top of these uh, magnificent sort of um, edifices of New York edifices you can certainly see some Roseberry's baby redolent there but um, yeah it's, it's about it's about some people kind of orbiting seemingly the real world kind of reeling from the case of Jeffrey Epstein kind of visiting the same areas in which he haunted um, got the chance to talk to her really cool person really cool movie um, and then it just keeps flowing on from there and then there's more that are coming up so I'll talk a little bit about what uh, is going to be coming up for at least so far for 2022 um, more to come uh, but the ones I've got and I, I I didn't really have them in an order I should probably put them in an order but I think I think this is the order of them. So, uh, Love and Virtue, Diana Reed. Uh, this is this is again uh, from the same publishers as uh, When Things Were Alive. They hum with Hannah Bent. Uh, Love and Virtue, Diana Reed. This is kind of being touted as the one of the, the literary books of the year that you have to read. Uh, done incredibly well, hugely well received. Uh, so I'm going to talk to Diana about that book early Jan. Uh, so excited for that one. Explain that. 31 Intriguing Reasons Why from The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald. It's edited by Felicity Lewis. Have you ever wanted to try and travel as possible or where the Australian accent came from or what it feels like to have dementia? So there's all these kind of, uh, you know, uh, really sort of uh, questions that I think that everyone will kind of ask themselves occasionally but never really have the wherewithal uh, to find out the answers. So it's kind of compiled here with uh, this sort of literary luminary or journalistic journalist luminary Felicity Lewis uh, huge 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 figure in the industry I'm going to talk to talk to her about that book The Breaking Irma Gold lovely human being I'm going to talk to her about this book um, which is out with the good folks at Midnight Sun Publishing um, so I, I I'm with this particular one and quite a few I try and avoid reading the media releases and just reading the book first and then trying to read it again if I can. So I'm going to be able to do that with them because it's a little bit of ways away. 
uh, and then finding out the story from letting that letting my imagination form the story and then kind of finding out there because I feel like that's when the most kind of earnest and organic questions arise that make for good interviewing personally so yeah I'm really looking forward to talking about uh, the breaking of Irma Gold and Jan, Jan Feb and then got the last bookshop with Emma Young uh, out with the good folks of Fremantle Press uh, Emma, Emma Young lovely human being uh, with Fate has kind of gotten on the way a little bit here and there with getting the chance to talk to her, but I'm incredibly excited to talk to her about that as well. So the last bookshop with Emma Young. Uh, there's another couple as well that are in the pipeline. I don't want to talk too much about them uh, just yet. I'll let the I'll let kind of the t- a little bit of the passage of time sort of uh, inform the details as they sort of arise. But there's a few going on there. And now, so that's kind of covering what's gonna what's happening with the Right Way podcast now. In terms of the future of uh, the Right Way podcast program and kind of what uh, you can expect, so um, I will. The Right Way podcast program has uh, been the best experience. Exactly what I needed, as I touched on earlier about what uh, has been going on. That, that one shit component of my life and how this has kind of um, bettered it or oh, being so helpful. Aside from the obvious administrations of my absolutely beautiful girlfriend Shannon who's kind of been invaluable of uh, supporting me through this as well but um, the podcast has yes has definitely provided invaluable service as well uh, it's been giving to me as much as what I've been giving to it with the guests uh, but but the so th- th- there's there's the uh, the amount of guests really has been kind of um, for, for this brief stretch has been sustainable but it will not be moving forward because it just means I would just not be able to give as much time and devotion to each person and their novels and their work as I'd like, as well as, God forbid, my own uh, long-form writing there, my uh, stuff in which I'm going to talk in a little, just a little sec, a sec about that as well. But basically, it just means that I'm not stopping. I will never stop. Like I said, I love this podcast. I love the opportunity to talk to writers. I always love talking to writers about writing. It's a very cool pursuit. It's a very tough one. You know, it's isolating. It's brutal. Uh, it can be really, really brutal. You know, you've got the demon sitting on your shoulder the whole time telling you that it's shit. And then you'll send out your work, your little, you know, you'll, you'll make it into a little sailboat, send it out there in the world. And then there'll be other people that will tell you it's shit. <laughs> You know, so that, that can happen, unfortunately. So it's brutal, man. It's brutal. And that's why it's always so important to meet good folks and encourage them and help them when you can and hear them out. And, you know, you'll learn stuff. Like I said, like I've learned so much for this year. But I can only do so much of that within within the time frame. So what I reckon I'm going to do is I'm going to pare back a little bit on that. So it will be a case of like, when I say pare back, I mean like there will definitely be one episode or two episodes per month it just means that there's not going to be you know four a month six a month uh interviewing two or three people in one week kind of thing because it's just it's just too taxing and it's just not giving me enough time to be able to give them the 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 due uh diligence of of speaking to them properly and stuff like that so uh (laughs) i'm not actually uh cutting down on the workload i'm distributing it (laughs) between two podcast now yes two two um uh what is it soundcloud gets two paychecks spotify gets two paychecks from me in relation to it but uh you know them's the them's the bricks so uh the new podcast 
And let me tell you, first and foremost, I tried to think of um, some really apt names, yeah? Like I was like, oh, asking questions, you know, talking with, finding out with Sam Elliott kind of thing. Because that's what the this this program, and you know, that's what I've kind of learned so much from uh, the Right Way podcast, which is kind of, I, I didn't perhaps figure it out from the outset, is that it's been a learning experience, yeah? Like I've learned so much and it's, it's enriched my life and just, you know, indelibly enriched my life in so many ways. So I'm, and I, the older I get, the more that I accept that I know very little about the world and the goings on, not just, you know, of the world at large, but even in the own city, my, in the city in which I inhabit, you know, the glorious Sydney, my lifelong city. So I'm launching a podcast called The Samuel Elliott Show. Yes, The Samuel Elliott Show. Commit that to memory uh, because you're going to be seeing it launched around March time when I get all the, the branding and everything together as the first guest. What it's going to be is more of a general interest show. So there's a few there's a few subjects that come up in my brain region you know, every so often, particularly sometimes if I can't you know sleep properly. I'm someone that's still plagued with insomnia every so often, uh, and there'll be questions that I'll, I'll ask. Like I want to know, you know, I want to know what's happened with uh, post lockdown. What's going on with all the puppies? Because like people got a lot of puppies and stuff like that. Um, you know, during the lockdown, what's happened to them after? Because, you know, that not everyone's a responsible pet owner like yourself. So what's happened to them? Like, I'd like to talk to, you know, someone maybe in the RSPCA or something like that about that uh, and learn various different things and speak to people from all walks of life. You know, I've pushed myself this year to not be afraid to speak to anyone. And I think that I need that to continue onward on a grander scale than what I've, you know, previously ever to undertaken. So I want to do that with this show as well. Um, I want to learn about people's different faiths, you know, and what, you know, centers around their lives. I want to learn everything, um, bar none. Uh, so that is a really exciting prospect. It's a, it's a frightening one because it's, you know, again, it's not all too different from, you know, the original podcast, but it is a frightening one because it's going to mean that there's going to be conversations that aren't restricted to, um, to, uh, you know, speaking about a novel or a film, um, you know, for good or ill. So I don't know what's going to come with these, you know, certain discussions and stuff like that. But I think that <clears throat> it seems like the right thing to do. And I think it's an important thing to do, not just for my own journey, but if I can create a platform where it promote, pro, prompts or promotes robust discussions and that can resonate with anyone or you know, proliferate sort of uh, respective discourses, you know, throughout the listenership. I think that's a really, really powerful and cool thing to do. And I think that can really prompt, you know, not getting too grandiose or, you know, delusions of grandeur. But I think if I can, if I can contribute to the world and my society in which I live in in any way, any sort of way like that, then I've, you know, I think that I've achieved my mission objective. And I think that I would consider that I've done something good with my life in that regard. So, yeah, the Samuel Elliott show, that will come. I'll obviously give you a big heads up about that. I'll share that across the social medias because I'll have another social media account for that one. And yeah, we'll see how that's going to that's gonna go for that one as well. But um, yeah, so that's, 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 that's a year looking back and that's starting to look forward. Um, other things in which I've been working on. So I've been trying to get my historical fiction novel, Eden Says, out there as well. I have been working on uh, something completely different from Eden Says, like this historical fiction novel I'm talking about, Eden Says. 
I've been writing something completely different for most of this year called Friendly Reminder, which is kind of a, yeah, I want to say it's a social commentary on a pervasive, what I probably, what I probably argue is an ever more pervasive uh, problem of workplace bullying sort of frame within the framework of a thriller. Um, but it's up to you to determine how much of it, how, how thrilling you find it. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I kind of wanted to marry the two, and it's something in which I haven't really kind of undertaken before in that regard. But it's a it's a cause near and dear to my heart, there, dear listener. So I I wanted to make it as you know earnest and realistic as possible, as gritty as possible, and hopefully you'll get to see the results. I'll start sending it out, um, you know, in the in the new in the near future, as well. Um, but that's look. That's pretty much it. That's that's me up to up to date at the moment. There's yeah. There's there's more guests to follow. Keep a lookout for on the interwebs and the social medias for what's going to be happening with the um, with the new podcast program. I'll, you know, I'll keep you abreast of all that as well as you know when you can find or or follow the new uh, social media page when all the branding's done and everything like that is available. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you for listening to all the other episodes and continuing to like, it's really so uplifting to see, um, people going on back and listening to all these episodes, you know, from way back when, you know, it feels like I'm really being supported. You see me, uh, albeit the digital equivalent there, you hear me. I feel, I feel heard in that regard. And I feel like the, this crazy endeavor in which I've embarked on, uh, is, is, you know, it's getting results in terms of. A listenership so that's always something that i've you know wanted to sort of cultivate and i'm happy with the results and you know it's just, it's just such a pleasure to speak to so many people i'm so lucky to to be able to do so and have done so you know and i just want to keep doing that in some capacity for probably throughout the rest of my life um as well as you know keep keep ch- chipping away at my own sort of writing there as well so look thank you so much if you haven't already be sure to follow this episode on spotify if you're listening to it there Go back and listen to all the other old episodes as well. And I bid all of you a farewell. Please, there, there'll be a couple more cheeky. There's going to be a, maybe one more cheeky episode to come for the end of the year. Uh, it's still kind of uh, up in the air. I'm not exactly sure if that's going to come to fruition. I'm waiting to, to see what they're doing. But in the interim, yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Stay tuned for more. And if I don't speak to you or you don't hear from me prior to the year ending, Everyone have a lovely Christmas holiday break. Stay safe and may 2022 be your year.